Der deutsche Spargelkult müsse enden. Germany's beleaguered defense minister has temporarily dropped his PhD Deutschland ist eine Perle der deutschen Industrie. Und ich glaube, das kann man nicht sagen. Ich weiß, wie viel Liebe dahinter steckt. Wenn Glühweinstände aufgebaut werden, wenn Waffen... Spargelweltmeister ist China, denn die bauen sich... Hi, it's Michelle. Hey, this is Ted. Welcome back to Spaßbremse. I'm really excited for this episode because we've got another great guest today, this time discussing transportation and climate politics here in Germany. At Spaßbremse, we try to pick topics where there's a massive gulf between perception and reality of Germany, such as our past episodes on abortion or alternative medicine. But this one is especially fascinating because it's so complex. Germany is widely seen as a green country, both in domestic polls and from those in other European countries. On the one hand, Germany is very developed in certain types of climate-friendly infrastructure, like the famous ICE train or this elaborate bottle return system. You gotta get the, the fun. With you the deposits, the yeah. <laughs> But... Germany is also a very heavy polluter overall compared to other European countries and has a pretty extreme car culture. Uh, Widersprüche, as the Germans would say. Yeah, it's, it seems pretty rare to me. Like, you don't have a lot of countries in the world that are associated with both rail and roads in the public imagination. And Germany is definitely one of them. You know, it, it's famous for not having a speed limit on the Autobahn and also for high-speed rail. Like, it's a... Yeah, the, the contradiction is sort of baked in there. To get into all the details of this really fascinating topic, and trust me, it's not as dry as it sounds, um, Ted spoke with Giulio Mattioli, a researcher at TU Dortmund, who has a wealth of knowledge about both the kind of wonky and funnier aspects of how transportation policy works in Germany. Julio and Ted have a really great conversation that connects a lot of topics that kind of seemed discreet to me before. Yeah, we covered a lot of ground ranging from the big picture, like the negotiations at the recent COP26 conference and the incoming German government, the, the Ampel, and what their climate policy might look like, and also got down to the specifics of some pretty bizarre laws in Germany that limit what cities can charge for parking or how they can regulate speed limits. So whether you're worried about the impending climate doom or are just sick of getting almost run over on your bike every day in a German city and having like cars parked everywhere on, on sidewalks and pedestrian paths, um, this one's for you. You know, There's something in here that you'll find interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm worried about all of the above to be to yeah, be honest. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm with you. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's all scary. And before we get to the interview, we should just say thanks again to everyone for listening, and thanks to all those who support us over on Patreon. Your help is very much appreciated. We've got some nice premium episodes already, and we are about to release another in our series on German businesses during the Nazi era. The link to sign up is in the show notes. And if you can't support us for now, no worries. It would still be great if you could subscribe and leave us a good review wherever you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spot does Spotify do reviews? I don't know. But okay. if you can say nice things about us, find a venue to do that is the bottom line. Yeah. 
and share with your friends. Yeah, and Christmas is also right around the corner, and I hear a Spaßbremse subscription is one of the hottest gifts this year. So keep that in mind for any of your Germany-curious friends and family. <laughs> yep, um, <laughs> the perfect gift for the Spaßbremse in your life. All right, let's journey onwards to the interview. Here's Ted and Julia. All right. Well, thanks everyone for joining. Um, I am accompanied here by a guest on the show, Giulio Mattioli, who is a researcher on sustainable transport at the Technical University in Dortmund. Giulio, thanks for sorry, sorry. Giulio, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Hi. Yeah. So this is um, a pretty timely topic, actually, with the new German coalition contract coming out. Um, obviously, there is quite a bit of news about how transport policy in Germany might evolve, as well as obviously coming a few weeks after the COP26 climate negotiations in Glasgow. So I think we have quite a bit to talk about here. And, you know, the recurring theme on our show, right, is this discrepancy between how Germany is perceived, especially externally, and the actual reality of German politics and, and the kind of facts on the ground here. And I'd say that uh, climate policy is another one of those elements, right, where Germany tries to sort of advertise itself as this leader, you know, real like a real climate leader. And I think that's kind of internalized in the German political discourse as well. But if you look at actually some of the facts here in terms of the emissions per capita, right, it, it tells a bit of a different story. So how do you see really the, the difference between reality and perception about German climate policy in general, as well as some of the issues about transport specifically. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. This is a good area where this discrepancy is apparent. And I think some of it has to do with the confusion that people make between different environmental aspects, right? People tend to think that either a, a country is green or it's not. Whereas actually, you know, you have different dimensions and whether you have clean rivers doesn't mean, necessarily mean that you have low carbon emissions, right? There are two different uh, environmental problems. So I think Germany has been pioneering certain aspects of environmental protection, say about recycling. Uh, and people tend to, you know, just translate that into, oh yeah, they must have low carbon emissions, but they don't, there is no real, link between those two things and and also the fact that maybe that they had like early on a green party which you know it, it, it just was into government for a, a, a small number of years so it hasn't impacted policy as much but still the fact that they exist and in a proportional electoral system they get to have you know more more weight than they they have for example in the uk where they they uh, they sort of get the same similar number of votes but they don't even enter into parliament um and also i think there's a strong tradition of uh nature uh loving in germany dating back to romanticism or things like that so uh these things tend all to bundle into an idea of germans being green whereas there are there, there are a lot of other things that uh, go in the, in a different direction such as you know like their their model of industrialization has been from the start um linked to heavy and polluting industries uh, the automotive industry is particularly important and, um, and, and so on and so forth. So, uh, yeah. And I think uh, when it comes to transport, there is also a, 
And another explanation is that actually, if you look at what happens in, in large cities, uh, there, there is a relatively good provision of public transport and of, say, cycling infrastructure. Uh, certainly, if you compare to the UK, uh, if you just go from a, from a British city to, to, a, to a German city, you would have the impression that transport is much more sustainable. But actually, what, what, what makes transport emissions is how much people use cars and uh, over, over, you know, which kind of cars and over which distances. And that's harder to see because a lot of that happens outside of cities and people can use the cars even if there's, there's a lot of public transport. And, and that's sort of what happens in Germany, that you have a little bit more of everything, right? You have more public transport, more bike lanes, but also more car use and more motorways. Uh, and that's a bit like difficult to apprehend, uh, um, you know, as a, as, as a lay person, <laughs> I guess. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember you, uh, you shared something like this on Twitter, I think. And it was, you know, as Germany's invested quite a bit in uh, road infrastructure, that rather than making commuting times shorter and, you know, you think, OK, well, that's more efficient if people are getting to work quicker. They're not they're not idling. They're not sitting in traffic. But the response to that has been people just living farther away from work and commuting longer distances. And so it's uh, it's had this kind of inverse effect of what you'd want from that, right? Yeah, that's sort of a constant in, in transport, right? That's just what happens in transport. Like people will not tend to travel on average. They tend to travel the same amount of minutes per day everywhere and uh, and since ever, right? There have been studies yeah. going, going back to the Romans say that they were spending pretty much the same time traveling that as we do now that obviously they were covering like shorter distances so um what happens when you have faster modes and 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 infrastructure uh related to it is just that people tend to move away over time and and the thing in germany as compared to other countries that they have invested a lot in in in, in motorways perhaps more than than other countries and still keep investing um to yeah, that's that's obviously really controversial. I mean, I'm I'm coming here from Berlin, where there's this controversial project, right? The the A100, which seems like they're going to keep doing it in, in yeah. the face of quite a lot of uh, public pressure to to not build that. You know, people are saying, look, why why should we be putting this through? You know, neighborhoods and increasing emissions in the city. We need to be building out public transport. And yeah. I think that that kind of segues into my next question here, which was Germany's relative focus on different types of transportation, right? I mean, you mentioned cars and car culture here. Obviously, Germany is world famous for that. Um, it also has quite a reputation for very efficient trains, like the ICE is a very well-known like high-speed train network. And so people sort of like associate it both with cars and rail, interestingly, which I think is a, mm. a bit of an oddity. And I remember also seeing, you know, the, the build out over the last about 60, 70 years of the Autobahn network. Um, and over that same time period, the actual rail network has shrunk. Yep. And so in terms of the actual investment that Germany is putting into these different modes, what is the balance there? And could you maybe talk about how that compares to other European countries? It, yeah, I, I, I don't know that much about it. Actually, I think in many countries, it's been, it's been the case that the railway expansion has stopped or even shrunk, uh, certainly in the UK. Uh, at some point, say the 50s and 60s, whereas motorway building has continued. And I think Germany perhaps has invested more in a, in a very comprehensive motorway network than, than other countries. So for example, in the UK, you will have just 
to go north to Scotland. There's just actually one motorway, to, if, if I'm correct. Yeah. Uh, and if you see, like on, on most on, on most axes in Germany, there's typically a lot of redundancy. You know, you can't take one motorway or just one 50 kilometers next to it. And uh, so there's almost an over provision of it. Yeah, and I think they want to change that a little bit in the next. Uh, uh, that's one of the good things about the uh, government coalition agreement that they want to rebalance that. They said they want to invest, prioritize investing in rail and review some of, because some of these plans for motorway expansion really date from from decades ago, from a very different area where people really thought that we we needed to provide for the car and so on, and uh, environmental issues were not as prominent. And, and and they're just now being implemented just because it takes a huge time to go from, from, from the plan to, to, to construction. And, and I think they want to review that with, with input from the environmental NGOs. So there is a chance that they might stop building some of those. Uh, yeah. Right. And I mean, you, so you mentioned the new, new government, which I obviously want to talk to as well, but I think it's it's worth pointing out, right? I think the Autobahn has this sort of like outsize uh, influence as like almost an institution in, in German politics, right? I mean, they have even their dedicated logo with the little special A and it's sort of like its own own brand in a way. Um, I saw this on Twitter a while ago and it was like this group of uh, Autobahn officials or like local officials cutting a giant cake yeah, that said yeah. D Autobahn on it. And so like, <laughs> it's a bit of an odd thing how, how celebrated this is. We can link to it in the show notes. It's a pretty funny picture. Yeah, um, that was fun. And they're having their little cafe and kuchen, except it's in <laughs> Autobahn. <laughs> it's like peak Germany. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, in terms of the new government, um, on the, the federal level, obviously, they just put it together, this Ampel Coalition with the Greens, uh, the SPD, and the, the leadership with the Chancellery, and also the FDP, who are, of course, a bit more free market, liberal, as they'd call themselves. In reality, a lot of that has to do with uh, a lot of funding and support for cars and the automotive world. So maybe not as free market as you'd think uh, with a lot of state subsidies for people yeah. to drive around. But they, according to the the paper, the, the coalition paper that's been released, it looks like the FDP, the most pro car of the three parties by far, it will take the transport ministry federally of this guy, of Volker Wissing. And he's already announced that he wants to cut taxes, I think specifically on diesel vehicles, which seems like not the direction we want to go in, especially with the, the Greens being in government again for the first time in, in several years. And then it looks like in terms of some transport policy, we actually might be moving backwards, even though there are some signs of progress, as you mentioned. So like, what are your opinions on this new, this new government um, and this new coalition that's forming? Like, where do you see that moving and where there might be some progress or, or not? I mean, if you come from a sustainable transport perspective, it's so you're always sort of going to be disappointed, like, you know, like in Germany or in, in any other country, because just the scale of the challenge is such, especially if you look at it from a climate change perspective, the scale of the challenge is such that you're likely to be disappointed by any concrete policy that the government, any government puts forward. Because uh, emissions in the transport sector were uh, in 2019 the same as they were in 1990. So they haven't decreased, whereas they haven't decreased in other sectors. And now the government goal, the previous government goal was to decrease them by 40% over the next 10 years. So that's incredibly challenging that, that, that you would need some really radical measures, um, basically 
try and implement all measures you can think. So that was probably never going to happen, even with a green, green, green government. Uh, but even so, uh, I think uh, a lot of the sustainable transport people have been disappointed because they've seen like the Greens gave up on on their flag some of the flagship policies right away, such as the motorway speed limit uh, and others. Uh, and then they were sort of assuming that they would do that uh, strategically as a way of, okay, you know, we will, we will give up on those, but we will get the transport ministry and then we will be able, you know, through the machinery of the transport ministry to do more things. And then they, they gave up on the transport ministry as well, apparently. Uh, and so that I think that was a bit of a blow uh, for, for, for many. And yeah, uh, I, I mean, the interpretation that some put forward is that precisely because transport is so difficult, if you make an electoral calculation, you want in four years uh, to be able to say, oh, I've achieved in this sector that was my responsibility, I've achieved, I've made, uh, you know, I've, I've achieved something. And, and, and it's more likely that you will achieve something on coal or, you know, in some other areas than, than you're likely to achieve something in transport. Um, so if you think back uh, what happened in spring when Baerbock was elected leader, and then she said two things on transport, which were relatively mild from our perspective, it was like, no, eventually we we'll want to make uh, flights within within Germany redundant because just just because rail is so great. So she she wasn't talking about banning them. And then she said something about we need a slightly higher carbon price and fuel prices. And and there was such a backlash that I think they lost ten points uh, in in the polls in within a month. So I think perhaps transport is seen as such a sensitive and, and hopeless area that they thought, okay, let's let's just give up on that completely and li leave Dodge it. Dodge the political hot potato. <laughs> yeah, they, li leave it to them. And then if it if in four years, like you know, we haven't cut emissions by an inch, then uh, we can say, oh, it's the liberals' fault. <laughs> I don't know. That could be a uh, maybe. That's just a cynical in me trying to think about how politicians think but <laughs> <laughs> no it doesn't it doesn't sound far off base because you think i mean from from the greens rhetoric right you think oh well this would be something that they'd kind of draw a red line on wanting to enforce like i mean in terms of actual sustainability like it, it's quite a i think people don't talk about the ministry that much in general uh, it's had a, what, a csu politician before so it was just sort of assumed that you would kind of build out the car infrastructure yeah and now it's like oh well here's a chance maybe to do something and it seems like that that chance has not been seized, unfortunately. Yeah, and it's a topic that it's emotionally charged from both sides. If you think about it, because uh, you know they had like uh, posters with uh, cargo bikes, which were very criticized. And on the other hand, <laughs> you know that the FDP at the local level, at least, they have posters saying with cars on it, with a smiling car on it, saying, "Oh, your car would vote for us." You know. Uh, so it, yeah, yeah, I saw there was one here in Berlin that was like. Uh, like anyone who wants to keep their car can't turn left, like meaning like vote for like a, a, one of the sort of three left-ish parties in Germany. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, I, and I think this is, this is another really important topic that you can't really distinguish the like policy detail from the cultural element of it, which is like, it has a huge emotional significance. Yeah. And so of course, probably the best example of that is the, the debate over the tempo limit, which you, which you alluded to. I mean, you said, you know, okay, well, there is some progress in other things. I should probably mention, right? One of those was moving uh, the coal, the exit from coal yeah. from 2038 to 2030, which is which is good, of course. 
But the Greens for a while have said, we want to introduce a speed limit on the Autobahn, which famously Germany does not have in, in several areas. And this is like a really a red line in the other direction for some of the more right-leaning parties. Yeah. Um, and I know, I think the you mentioned the German Environmental Agency estimated that a speed limit of 130 kilometers an hour, which is kind of an EU standard, would bring a reduction of 1.9 million tons of CO2 per year. So could you tell us a little bit about this debate, maybe a little background and, and kind of how that materializes and how that works in German political debate today? Yeah, I mean, from our perspective, if you, if you study sustainable transport, it's just such a low-hanging fruit, you know. It's, it's the only country in the world that doesn't have it. So it would just be a question of bringing that into line with the rest of the world. And uh, it would bring benefits in terms of reduced road deaths. And it would reduce emissions by a non-negligible amount because 1.9 million, it's, it's not peanuts. And yeah, so the only reason to oppose it is really this sort of, you know, attachment to the fact that people are used to, 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 to speeding. Uh, and that's it. And, and, and a lot of like rubbish arguments are put forward, but they don't stand up to scrutiny. Like people will compare one to one Germany with another country and say, oh, but there's a country with speed limit and with more road deaths. So there is no correlation, which doesn't make any sense. You know, you, you, you wouldn't compare two countries. You know, it just obviously there are, there, there are several variables right. that go into it and, and you cannot just compare two points like that. And you wouldn't. Right. If a country is like mountainous or has small roads, right. Or it's like there's a, there's a bunch of things that could go into that. I mean, I, I've heard this before where people, yeah. some people in, a, in the US where I'm from will say like, oh, well, actually it's safer in Germany. So maybe we should get rid of the speed limit. And it's like, well, that's not the only factor. Exactly. That exists, yeah. Right? Um, and you wouldn't do that, say. In Italy, say Northern Italy, there is like very high levels of air pollution, but there's also higher life expectancy than many other parts of Europe. That doesn't mean that air pollution doesn't reduce life expectancy because it does. <laughs> it's just that, that there, are, there are other factors there. Uh, so you wouldn't just say, oh, let's just get rid of all air pollution regulation because we live longer. Uh, so yeah, it's just, it's just rubbish. Yeah, it is a topic where there's a, I think there's a majority support for, for the tempo limit at the end of the day. All polls point in that direction, but there's a very loud minority. And so as I think every country has sort of has these sort of issues. Many have made the parallel yeah. between that and gun controls in, in the US. And that, I was just going to say, yeah, that's, there's the, a, there's that's a, the analogy people yeah. reach like where a Broad majorities of the country are like, come on, let's have some reasonable controls about this. But the people that own the guns, yeah. the analogy being the people that have their, their Porsches and want to do 200 on the Autobahn are like, this is like their one issue and they'll vote for anybody yeah. that will stop it. And so Exactly, yeah. yeah. So I think every country, has, I mean, there's nothing particularly bad about Germany. That's their issue where they, there's a sort of, you know, crazy debate like that. And other countries will right. have other issues. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It always seems very irrational from the outside yeah. of it. But yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a thing. And yeah, if you're uh, if any non-Germans listening and you're driving in Germany, do not sit in the left lane on the Autobahn. Because yeah. uh, there might be a guy coming at 250 kilometers from behind you. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, continuing on the, the car front here, right? There's been a lot of talk, of course, about electric vehicles. Uh, obviously, there's the new Tesla Gigafactory outside of Berlin, which is uh, proving to be pretty controversial. And a lot of 
German car manufacturers that felt like they were kind of trailing in EVs have now tried to catch up. And so there's this whole kind of discourse about this. And, you know, that's probably a, an improvement, right? If we could if we could have a one-to-one, get rid of diesel and have electric vehicles, that would probably be better. But at the same time, I think you and, and other people of a similar mindset would argue, right, that like we need to think about new ways of transportation or really just investing in old ways of transportation. We've had trains for quite a while, but sort of thinking about new modes of it, right, rather than just switching out one type of car for another. So could you talk a, a bit about that or your perspective about where electric vehicles fit into this uh, sustainable transport picture? Yeah, so, I mean, the consensus opinion among us transport researchers would be that, you know, things that we repeat like a mantra and we're also bored to death of repeating is that there is sort of three-pronged approach, which is called avoid, shift, improve, which would be if you want to cut emissions, you need to act on three sort of fronts. And one of them is trying to, you know, reduce travel activity, travel less, if you can, uh, not having to cover such long distances to do what you need to do, and especially not increasing distances over time, because that's what happened over the last few decades. And also you need to shift. So if you have to cover such distances, you know, better do it with the modes that are less um, polluting, uh, such as public transport and active travel, where where it's an alternative. And then you have improved in that, you know, you keep using the same modes, but you improve their environmental output in terms of energy efficiency and, and carbon intensity. And, and that's where electrification comes about. And a problem that there is in Germany, but there would be the same in the UK as well, is that governments tend to have climate strategies in the transport sector, which are exclusively relying on the third one, right? Just electrification. Yeah. Yeah. And the problem with that is that it just doesn't work as quickly or as, as you know, it doesn't go as far. It will, it will, all calculations, all modeling, most modeling uh, efforts find that you, you will not reduce emissions at the, at the, at the scale and speed that you, that you need by just relying on an electrification because electrification takes time. You know, people keep their cars for, I don't know, 10, 12 years on average. So every car that is sold now will be on, on the roads in, in um, 2033. Um, you know, a lot of them will be. Uh, and so b- before all cars on the street, uh, on the roads get to be uh, zero emissions at the tailpipe, it would be a long time. And then you have to um, decarbonize the electric grid as well, because, you know, it will still produce emissions through electricity that is generated through coal and so on. So it just will take a lot of time and and, and, and it will it would help reaching those goals if at the same time you you were reducing car use. But there doesn't seem to be much political and, and even public support for that. Um, yeah, and of course, pr- producing cars is also not a carbon neutral yeah. activity anyway. So if you're saying we're going to make every single car electric, you're going to have to build those, which of course produces emissions in its own right. Yeah, and you see that even at the you know thinking about it in theory, the goal of of the German government is to reach 15 million electric vehicles. Whereas perhaps a better goal would be to have a certain share of, of, of the vehicle fleet. Because in theory, you could just add 50 million electric vehicles on the top of all those, you know, combustion engine vehicles that you have now. 
you know um you could yeah. just increase the fleet by 50 million vehicles all of which are electric right. and that would not reduce emissions but, uh, yeah they're just if they're if they're everybody if they're rich just rich people second cars like, exactly really if people just increase their, their their you know the motorization level uh yeah yeah and and so you you would need to have goals where you you know you increase the good thing but you also reduce the bad thing they always forget that part. Yeah, they tend to uh, avoid that. <laughs> I guess moving on then to to rail infrastructure, right? There's been some discussion and debate about this. I mean, I mean, you mentioned kind of some changing consumer habits, right? Where a, an encouraging sign is that uh, it's gotten a lot more popular to take the train in Germany. Like mm. people have kind of picked up on on some of this climate discourse, and they realize, well, you know, this is a, a convenient way to get around. I mean, Germans like to complain about about the the rail network here and how it's always late. And for me, coming from the US, uh, it, it doesn't seem that bad. Um, I mean, Italy, I guess, if you're in the north of Italy, if you're north of Naples, you have really good high speed rail. So it actually Nowadays, puts Germany yeah. to shame, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you'd hope you'd hope we could eventually have some kind of trend here where it was basically Alitalia went out of business because the rail infrastructure got so good in the northern half of Italy, right? That no one was really taking these short haul flights. And so, you know, you'd love to see Lufthansa routes within Germany um, sort of fade away as people as people try to take the train more, but that might be a long way off. We'll see. That's, that's certainly a heated debate about what to do about air travel. Um, but just to talk about the, the train a bit, I mean, what developments have we seen here? Uh, and there's been recent plans, I think, to to break up the Deutsche Bahn and like partially privatize it or separate the, the the actual operational part from the organization that would own the tracks. So could you tell us a bit about what's been going on on the the rail side of things here in Germany? Yeah, I, I don't I don't know that much about it. I was just reading the the coalition agreement, and it doesn't seem that they they they, they stayed explicitly that it will remain publicly owned um, and integrated. So I don't think that point then really got uh, taken up in, in the final draft. And, and those things tend to be very complicated, like how you arrange uh, a railway network between the different components, uh, whether it's integrated or not, and whether that's good for, for increasing uh, ridership or not. So I, I, I don't think there's a clear consensus on whether it's bad or good uh, and you're right that like uh, passenger numbers have increased as they have increased in other countries like in the uk they have increased as well but one problem with that is that they have increased but not so much at the expense of car use right or or, mm. or not so much at the expense of of uh, air travel either you know so it's more a case of people traveling more long distance which is good i suppose that you know more people are taking the train rather than taking other modes, which they could. But uh, from, from a climate change perspective, it's not really helping so far to, to, to reduce emissions because it's almost happening on, on the top of, of, of the rest. And car, car mileage hasn't decreased in Germany, or at least not substantially. So. so it's almost similar to this dynamic you mentioned, or potential dynamic with electric vehicles, right? Where if it's not, if it's not replacing what already exists and it's just getting added to the top, it, it might look good on paper, but it doesn't actually help in terms of emissions. Yeah, that was, I mean, for electric vehicles, it was more of a mental experiment. I don't think that that, yeah, that yeah, will course, happen, but it, right? But yeah, it could, yeah. in theory. Uh, and that's why you should have a different kind of targets. In in the case of rail and other modes, it it is a little bit what, what happened. Yeah. All right, well, I guess uh, 
if we just talk about one more one more mode of transit uh air travel i think we we won't get to boats on this episode but we got we got the three other ones um and then move on to some more a bit of the the global and like larger larger political issues here so there have been other European countries, I think uh, notably France has talked about uh, basically making um, short haul flights within the country, uh, banning those and just saying, well, you know, we have this high speed rail system, you can get around. There's no reason to have flights uh, under a certain distance. How does that debate look in Germany? Is there anything about that in the new coalition agreement? And um, what does it look like in terms of, you know, uh, taxes and subsidies for air travel and kind of how does that play out here? You're right that, you know, other countries have been perhaps more courageous uh, in that respect. So Germany, uh, France has banned uh, some routes, uh, some domestic routes, routes that you can cover within two hours or two hours and a half by train, which makes sense because you have they have such a great high-speed railway network that really flying from Paris to Lyon really doesn't make sense. I wonder who, who was doing it anyway. Um, yeah, I always wonder who those people are. I'm yeah. like, why would you want to go through airport security and do all that when you could just sit on a train? Yeah, uh, maybe it just makes sense. like, again, almost a cultural thing. Yeah, Maybe it's, if it's a connecting flight, I don't know, if you're coming from Japan and landing in Paris yeah, and need to sure. go to Lyon, then yeah, maybe. But um, Anyway, uh, yeah, but that was a watering down already of something that that France had, which was like the, that citizen climate assembly, which put forward some proposals that then the government uh, impl- decided whether to implement or not. And they were calling for, for, for a bigger ban, for, for a more comprehensive ban of all domestic routes, I think. And they watered it down to really just a couple of routes. So I think symbolically it was good in that, you know, it's not taboo to, 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 to implement that kind of regulation. But in terms of actually impact, in terms of emission reductions, it won't be much. Uh, I think the German debate is perhaps even a little bit behind that in that. I mean, I don't think the Greens even went as far as putting forward, you know, proposing a ban even for such shorter routes. The maximum that they did was to say that aspirationally over the long term, we want people to stop using some of those routes because a railway is so good. And even that was, you know, portrayed in the media as absolutely verbotspartei, you know, uh, thing. And, oh, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I think we can't say that it's a little bit behind. And also, if you think about it, you know, France, that, that proposal came from a sit, uh, climate citizen assembly and Germany doesn't have one, right? Or, or at least it does, it, it has one. But it was like sort of uh, made bottom up from from uh, some NGOs, and then they were hoping that. But there was no uh, um, commitment from from Parliament to to even discuss their proposals. Whereas in both France and the UK, at least you know it, it was more of a of, of a top down exercise where the government had set up those climate assemblies and said, "Okay, we commit to discuss your proposals." Uh, and here in Germany, there, there has not been that much talking about it, you know, uh, and uh, which I think would be a great, you know, initiative to have a bit more uh, direct participate, inject a little bit of more direct participation in that way. Uh, but I think they tend to be more conservative in that, you know, we have our established ways of of uh, legis- legislative process and we stick to that. And why, why do this crazy innovation, right? Um, so yeah, air travel. I, uh, in the coalition agreement, there's some talk about increasing taxes, 
uh, or making sure that um, uh, flight uh, fares are not lower than taxes uh, and, and costs. Uh, but they tend to uh, more um, rely on the EU level. So they tend to say, oh, no, we want these things to happen at the EU level. Which I mean, on yeah. one on on one hand, it makes sense because you know a lot of a lot of air travel is international, so you don't want to take a one side measure because then if your neighbors don't, because uh, say if you if you tax fuel in Germany, then what and France doesn't, then what what the airlines will do? They will just refuel in France rather than doing it in Germany, and then it's completely, uh, you know, it, it doesn't doesn't make any sense. Um, so there, there's there's a case for taking those measures at the international or EU level, but it's also sometimes a sort of um, you know procrastination strategy to say, oh yeah, we will try to do this at the EU level, and then and then nothing happens, uh, and uh, just almost using that as an excuse not to not to do as much um, domestically. Yeah, but other than that, there was a sort of a lot of reliance on technology and saying that Germany should become like pioneer in zero carbon flight, which we all know that if, if it happens, it will take decades. Uh, and, and then there wasn't much detail on how they plan to to get there. So it was a bit. So it's the sort of technological hand waving, right? Exactly. Where they're just like, um, yeah, it's all just this technology in the future. It'll make flying not bad. And it's like, well, is the, does that like like you said that doesn't exist at all, or it's not even close to existing, right? Yeah, it's not scalable, you know, mostly. And so, um, I mean, there was a paper. Uh, recently showing uh depicting a scenario where you could like by 2050 make uh aviation zero carbon uh, and that included a lot of e-fuels but then at some point in the paper they say oh and by the way to produce all that amount of e-fuels just for international aviation we would need to cover the the surface of uganda with solar panels you know I mean, not not Uganda specifically, like the equivalent of the surface of Uganda. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah? Uh, so that's pretty tough, right? <laughs> yeah, it's just like you said, it's sort of a way of of deflecting, right? You can use the technological deflection or the the international deflection. And I think that now, and it often comes with the sort of boasting, you know, like we will be leaders in that, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, the, climb, <laughs> the the technological pioneer exactly, innovate yeah. the twenty first century economy, and you hear all this like very bold rhetoric, and it's just like, okay, no. well, uh, what what does that actually look like? And yeah, yeah, as one of these deflection forms, right? You mentioned this this political rhetoric I've noticed here in Germany quite a bit. They say, oh yeah, climate change is really important, but Germany can't do it by itself. Like Germany yeah. can't be the leader in in everything, and. This ties into COP26, of course, and you see you saw a lot of this on the news here. And then there's this idea where German politicians say with a straight face that like Germany is somehow this like amazing leader. And it's actually, you know, China and India, like they're the really bad guys. And if you actually look at, you know, cumulative per capita emissions, Germany is one of the highest there and about five yeah. times China historically and and about 15 times India historically. And so this idea that Germany is the, the sort of climate hero and these countries that are still trying to develop uh you know they're they're the real bad guys it's obviously like just a kind of a cynical political distortion right and so could you talk a bit about how this played out at cop 26 and maybe generally at the international level with this it's sort of like this core debate right between developed and developing countries where it's sort of like well the, the developing countries would say oh well you developed countries kind of used your carbon budget. You're rich now. Like we need to get there still. 
And like how how does that play out in any other issues you've observed at the international level? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, I mean that's that's pretty annoying, and uh, you hear that sort of arguments in many developed countries. Uh, perhaps Germany has more of a of an arrogant where where such leaders twist to it, but I, I think other countries do as well. And, and you're right, like the I mean the thing with with um, responsibility when it comes to responsibility to reduce emissions, there is no single metric you can look at to to say oh that metric shows this country should do. There, there, there are several of them, right? And and you need to look at the at the full array of them. Um, and one is, you know, the total amount of emissions right now annually, and that of course will reflect population. You know, so if you say Germany is just two percent of of, of uh, global emissions at the moment, well, Germany is one percent of population. You know. <laughs> So that's you know twice its, its its size. So it's sort of polluting twice as much as, as, as it ought to if you were you know giving every citizen on Earth the same uh, emission amount. Uh, and obviously China, just by virtue of being so big, would would emit much more. And if you broke China up in you know twenty provinces, then you would get to the same numbers as as a, as a, as a European country. Uh, and, and and the other one is per capita, obviously, and there, uh, you know, most developing countries have much lower levels than 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 European countries, uh, and Germany is relatively high in terms of CO two per capita. Uh, although some countries like China are sort of converging with that pretty rapidly, and then you have historical responsibility, which uh, is like how much you know uh, CO two emissions did, did you put in the atmosphere since we started um, you know emitting in the nineteenth century, and obviously uh, you know Germany industrialized relatively early, so it's got a lot of historical responsibility, but even that. Is contested in that some you know at, what happens then in in um, in these sort of negotiations, but probably not at the last COP twenty six, but um, you know 10, 15 years ago was that an argument that you can make is that yeah we have uh, we emitted a lot since the nineteenth century, but before a certain date we didn't know that it was bad, right? Which makes sense, probably if you if you go back, you know, in the in the sixties, like the evidence that you know CO two is bad and we should reduce it wasn't there. So those countries was were not aware of of, of doing anything bad, and, and 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 some countries argue that you should start counting responsibility from a later date when when we agreed that that was a problem, say nineteen ninety or something. Mm. So these debates are legitimate and and and, and contested. That's still yeah. still thirty years ago, right? Yeah. And they're still burning coal. So it's like uh, your patience kind of has to run out at yeah, some point, right? Definitely. But just to say that, that there is a legitimate debate about it, yeah. and and obviously every country tries to emphasize those metrics that uh, lean a bit more into the direction. But then this gets sort of. And that, that's a serious debate. And then there's sort of the cartoon version of the debate that you see in the public and political debate on the media and so on, where people just use those arguments, you know, to say, oh, no, we're just 1% and whatever we do is useless. Let's, you know, China should do something. And that's just straight, you know, trying to shift responsibility to someone else uh, to, to avoid to avoid doing, doing your bit. I think when it comes to the very high um, per capita emissions in Germany, uh, I, I did a thread a couple of um, 
months ago where I was showing that Germany compared to other e EU countries of the same size has pretty high uh, per capita emissions in, in pretty much every area except for waste, I think. Um, uh, and, and, and then it was funny to see the responses because people were saying, yeah, but you have to take into account. So my, my argument was that how can you get to call yourself a climate leader if you're you know emitting more than any, anyone else in, in most areas? And then people were saying, oh, but you have to take into account that we're richer and, and we have heavy industries and we have a powerful car industry uh, and so on. And, and if you take all of that into account, then uh, we're doing great. I'm like, yeah. At that point, you know, any country can argue that you know, if you if you if you discount for all the bad things we're doing, we're actually doing great. You know, that's just. Yeah. I mean, I, I see Pretty crazy I, argument. I see like, the if point. You ignore all the carbon. We're not emitting any carbon. <laughs> I see the point, but you don't get to call yourself a climate leader that way. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, that's pretty goofy. And yeah, so I think that's that's a great overview. Um, but I was wondering if. Um, just zooming way in on the local level now, and you're obviously in, in Dortmund, but um, I'm here in Berlin, and I think there's been a, a recent change where they talked about raising the yearly parking fee from like, it was like 10 euros, and now they want to go up to 120, which I just, I find, I was shocked when I learned it was that low. Like, if you think about what a room here costs that's about the size of a car, yeah, um, <laughs> you're going to be paying uh, several thousand, many thousands a year for that amount of square meters. And uh, car owners apparently get that quite subsidized, and we're paying only 10. So, you know, in, in any specific cities, you know, obviously uh, Berlin would be interesting to know about, but, but any other cities that you have experience with at the local level, um, in terms of cycle infrastructure or or transit, like what what is it looking like, and how does this really play out on the ground? Some of these changes that people are trying to make. Yeah, that that thing with parking was actually, I think it is to me it is sort of indicative of of some things that puzzle me about Germany is that the whole thing with the federalism, right? That some things that you would expect to be you know regulated at the national level then become Ländersache. Uh, or, or and, and then some that you would expect to say I don't know coron coronavirus policy or education policy or you know smoking regulations and things like that uh, they're, they're somehow they're local competencies and, and and then you have some that to me sound like inherently local such as parking policy uh, which are actually regulated at the federal level so at the federal level there was a maximum of 30 euros per year uh, for residential parking fees. So uh, cities, I think they had some leeway. So for example, Berlin had it lower than that, 10 euros. But even, even if they had wanted to, they could not have gone beyond the 30 euros, right? Because that was supposed to be a federal maximum. And that just don't, didn't make any sense to me. Like uh, you, uh, you want to give, you know, like uh, flexibility to cities to experiment with these sort of things and, you know, implement the policies that make most sense in their local context. And so now they've changed that and they've uh, let uh, the, 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 the German states, so the lender, have the opportunity. So in the case of Berlin, the, the land uh, coincides with the, the city. Uh, yeah. Other other uh, other lender have decided to give uh, to delegate that responsibility to 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 the municipalities uh, and so on. So there will hopefully be some more uh, flexibility to to experiment there, which I think it's it, it's what's holding back 
many German cities from experimenting in these uh, sustainable transport things. It's that there, there are some very entrenched regulations at the at the federal level. Uh, so, for example, there, there are many many. Um, French cities that have introduced a generalized 30 kilometer speed limit within within the city, and and they have reduced road deaths uh, by a lot by doing that. And there are a few cities in Germany that would like to do that, such as Bonn and so on. But they need to have permission from the Federal Ministry of Transport, and the Federal Ministry of Transport is denying that permission. Uh, so they cannot do it. And um, so that was the case to date with Scheuer. Uh, we will see how if the if the new um, if the new minister changes tune about that. But I think, mm. like as compared to other cities in Europe, like unfortunately, some German cities that would like to be more progressive in in these kind of things are sort of held back by this centralization and and this sort of very entrenched, almost you know, um, legislative car dependence almost. Um, yeah, yeah, that's. I didn't actually know that about the about that that was all regulated at the federal level. So it's, it's kind of funny because you have these political actors who probably in a lot of situations say, "Oh no, we we don't believe in like an overreaching, you know, uh, federal government. We want to like have some more local control, you know, when that suits them." And then yeah, <laughs> when when a city wants to just regulate, you know, speed limits to try to avoid car deaths, like I mean, here in Berlin, when I cycle, like even though it's okay with cycle infrastructure. Almost every day, I feel like I almost get killed by some giant right. SUV, and it would be really nice if they could not go sixty kilometers an hour down a small street, yeah. like they do quite frequently. But yeah, like just being blocked and not not actually being able to do, like you said, what makes sense at a local level. Because obviously, what works in the countryside is not really what makes sense in a city like Berlin with pretty good public transit. Exactly. Yeah, and it doesn't quite fit with the. I mean. With the outset image of Germany, and trying to link back to the topic of your podcast, that people tend yeah. to think of Germany as a very decentralized country, right? But it, in certain aspects, it is very centralized, and and people think of, say, France as very centralized and Paris-centric, but in many things, right? In political science, those are always kind yeah. of hold, held up as like the opposite sides of like the spectrum in European countries. Like, but it's interesting; yeah. it's the exact opposite in this regard. Yeah, once you focus zoom in, in into certain political uh, policy areas it, it's actually much more complicated than that okay. oh. well, that's really fascinating that's great um, and yeah just to just to close out could you talk a bit about the kind of research you're doing or any any specific work you're you're working on that you'd like to share yeah well, I've been working I mean my broad area is um, there, there are three things that I work on uh, mainly uh, worked on in my career and one is car dependence so the all, all the sort of things that locks us in a very high carbon transport system high car use why it's difficult to move away from that uh, and by doing that I've been looking at questions around transport poverty so in so, all sorts of inequalities related to transport um, uh, yeah uh, for example um, when, um, when in the political debate they talk about, um, those people who would be badly affected by uh, increased fuel prices. I've, I've been looking at that, how many of them there are and who they are and so on. Yes, I've been looking at those inequalities, but always sort of with climate policy in the back of my mind. And, and now more recently, I'm looking at uh, air travel and long distance travel and things like uh, what what explains higher levels of this uh, air travel uh, among the population. Who are those who actually get to fly frequently and so on, um, which turns out it's a lot of people like us who 
uh, migrants. Uh, I mean, that's an important factor. You know, people with migration background or family, fam families abroad tend to um, f fly mm. more than others. Yeah. Bla blame the Auslander. Yeah. yeah, there's a danger of that. So it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's always tricky to get to the policy implications <laughs> section right, of that. Right. <laughs> yeah, I guess, unfortunately, I guess I'm, I'm guilty of that coming coming from across the sea, sea to Germany yeah. out of here. But yeah, uh, try to try to take the train and ride my bike as much as possible while over here. Yeah. Hopefully it balances out from driving a giant SUV. Yeah, I'm sort of attracted by those difficult questions, you know, like those dilemmas. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, that's uh, really interesting. Um, and yeah, if you uh, if you have any work um, in particular that you're that you've published, uh, we're happy to link to that in the show notes. And and we'll, of course, uh, put your your Twitter in there as well. Um, for anyone listening, highly recommend following Julio for uh, lots of great insights, lots of great graphs, lots of uh, funny, bizarre things about Germany and other countries and the the transport policy and, and some of the, the more bizarre cultural quirks as well. <laughs> so definitely a, a recommended follow there. Absolutely. Thank you, Tess. Well, yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, really enjoyed that. Thank you so much to Julio for coming on. As a Bonn enthusiast myself, I found this sustainable transport lens really interesting. And I think, Ted, you guys had a really great and wide-ranging discussion. Yeah, Julio's awesome and a wonderful person to follow on Twitter, if you don't already, for some very good insights and uh, funny graphs and graphics and photos of uh, everything weird happening in German climate and transportation politics. So yeah, thanks so much to Julio for coming on, and thanks to everyone for listening. We'll be back soon with Nazi Business Part 3 on the Patreon, and a special Christmas episode on the main feed after that, that uh, that I'm pretty excited for. We, got, we have a little special concept going uh, that I think is a nice seasonal tie-in, so it should be good. <laughs> See you then. Cheers. Cheers. Hey, it's producer Isaac here. That was your semi-weekly episode of Spaßbremse. Thank you so much for listening. And just a reminder to please, if you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast wherever you are listening and give us a review or share with your friends too, if you feel like it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Spaßbremse underscore pod, where you can tweet us all your comments and complaints. That's at S-P-A-S-S-B-R-E-M-S-E underscore P-O-D. And we're also now on Patreon. So if you are able, your support over there would be greatly appreciated too. You can find us there at www.patreon.com slash If you weren't paying attention, that's totally okay. All this info is also in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and talk to you next time. Tschüss.